because there's a little bit of a time delay from live to what we see on our phones, there's a slight chance that I had those slides backwards for the confession. But um, that was totally on me. I will take full responsibility for that. And you know, if that's the only glitch we have today, I can live with that pretty easily. The text for today, as we try to reclaim this Lenten journey, is from Mark chapter 8, verses 31 through 38. This is a story that you've probably heard at least uh, the phrase that's coming at us today, today is about deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. That's where this is located in Mark's telling of this Jesus story. So here we go with today's text. Then he began to teach them that the Son of Man must undergo great suffering and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. He said all of this quite openly. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and looking at his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are setting your mind not on divine things but on human things. He called the crowd with his disciples and said to them, If any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. For what will it profit them to gain the whole world and forfeit their life? Indeed, what can they give in return for their life? Those who are ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of them the Son of Man will also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father, with the holy angels. You've heard the ancient story. Let us listen now for the word of the Lord. I have seen my mother do it a thousand times. She would serve a platter of fried chicken. She fried the best chicken. And then she would make sure that she took the smallest piece. She would say, Oh, I like the thigh the best. And maybe she did, maybe she didn't, but who would ever know the answer to that mystery? My dad and everyone else at the table were to get the best pieces. She would take the piece that potentially no one else would want. Now replay this scenario in every single way and substitute any given situation and you will find my mother putting everyone else first and taking the least for herself. It was in her nature, I think, or maybe it came with the job description of mother to deny herself. I know that everyone's mother is not like this, but mine was. And I remember kind of dreading that part of mothering, putting someone else's life in my hands and me being responsible for every single thing about their existence requires an unlimited amount of self-denial. How many meals are eaten cold and how many nights of sleep are lost? And if you know me and understand, you would understand two things about me that are very important. Eating a meal while it's hot, when I say supper's ready, I mean drop what you're doing and come right then and eat it while it's hot and getting my sleep 
those are two very important things to me. But I found in mothering that I was willing to give those things up day after day and month after month and year after year for the sake of another. Well, if I'm willing to do that, you must know that I love you immensely. As I grew into motherhood myself, and to my own surprise, I found myself almost instinctively taking the smaller piece of chicken, even the thigh, which I don't really like. Now let me hasten to say, one does not have to be a parent to understand denying oneself, but if you had good parents, that's likely where you learned it, or you learned it from someone else in your sphere of influence that taught you something about how important you are that they would deny themselves. But I'm not so sure that this comes naturally. I think it only comes out of love. And I think it's something that we have to learn and then we have to practice. And I think that's precisely why Jesus lost his temper in explaining this to the disciples. I didn't read it with that kind of energy that I think it had, but I'm going to give that to you again. He had to get his point across if they followed him that that would mean it's not all about them. They would have to deny themselves for the sake of another. I think Peter was likely expressing what all the others were thinking. This is not the way to win friends and influence people, Jesus. Then he began to teach them, saying, telling them that the Son of Man must undergo great suffering, be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, the scribes, and be killed. Peter pulls Jesus to the side, and the text says he began to rebuke Jesus. I wish we had the missing dialogue to this scene. I can imagine it going something like this. Jesus you are scaring people off. How in the world will we get more people to join this movement if you keep talking this crazy talk about suffering and dying? Nobody's going to buy into this, Jesus. Are you trying to run an ensmallment campaign? If you make this too difficult, people will walk away. They won't want to join could you smile more, Jesus, and offer us a prosperity gospel where everything's going to turn out all right, where we will be healthy, happy, and successful because that's what we want to hear. And that's what will really bring in the crowds. Oh, and Jesus, can you just keep politics on the down low a little bit and not get all tangled up with the government leaders? Because that's not going to bring people in either. And as a matter of fact, it's going to turn some people away. I think if you would focus on just how we take care of ourselves in our little group of your happy band of followers, more people would be willing to join us. But the way you're talking and acting, well, you're going to get yourself killed and all of the rest of us right along with you. Jesus, you have to look out for yourself because no one else is going to do that for you. Now, I don't mean to gloat, but I think that's pretty close to what Peter said to Jesus. Because what other kind of conversation would lead Jesus to get so fired up as to turn to him and say, get behind me, Satan. Yikes. So that rebuke didn't go so well for Peter. 
he probably began to wish that he had just kept his mouth shut because what Jesus did was to turn it up a notch. He had been explaining what was going to happen to him. But after Peter's rebuke of Jesus, Jesus rebuked him right back. Now, I don't know if you've ever been rebuked. I have. It's not pleasant. My biggest rebuke was 32 years ago because I remember exactly when it happened and where, and I did the math 32 years ago, and I remember it as vividly as if it were yesterday. It happened in a little sanctuary in Gardner Baptist Church in Gardner, Montana, when this young pastor who was most proud of the fact that he had never read a book about the Bible, because all you need is the Bible, he rebuked me for being a woman minister. He shook his Bible right in my face. I tell you this to say, a rebuking will stay with you. Even after years of affirmation and love, a rebuking will stay with you. And that's the word used here for what Peter did to Jesus, and Jesus did right back to Peter. But I had not noticed this little detail in the story until this week. The text said that Peter pulled Jesus aside to have a little private rebuking. And when Jesus gets ready to unload on Peter... The text says, but turning and looking at his disciples, he rebuked Peter right out there in front of God and everybody. And he said, get behind me, Satan, for you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. And what comes next likely made Peter wish he had left well enough alone because now Jesus was not just talking about what would happen to himself. He now brought all of them into the same situation when he said, If any of you want to be my followers, deny yourselves, pick up your cross, and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. So if we are to reclaim Lent, We will have to join Peter and all the others in hearing this difficult word, deny yourself. Because we know how this story goes, and we've seen the cost over the centuries of people who dared to follow Jesus, we know that this is about so much more than taking the best piece of chicken from the platter. About not taking the best piece of chicken from the platter. Denying oneself is costly for sure, but let us not confuse denial of self with self-abasement, self-flagellation or humiliation, degradation or belittling of self. Denying oneself is not about making oneself miserable in some form of tamping down my own needs and my own wants and my own desires in order to just become more holy. We hate this passage because it goes against our grain and it certainly goes against our cultural indoctrination to take care of self and build up self and put self first. So I want to offer you another way to think about what Jesus was trying to teach those early disciples and us. And that is that to deny yourself is really about us not me. Deny yourself is about we, 
not I. Deny yourself is the ultimate word on vulnerability. It's the Jesus way of saying we need each other. I need you, you need me, and we are in this together. You don't have to figure it out all by yourself. You don't have to walk this journey alone. Deny yourself and give your life away to the whole. Take care of each other. Look out for each other. We are in this together, and no one flies solo on this mission. Deny yourself and join forces together. Take up my cross that is a sacrifice for the whole. The common good is our aim. That all would be well. That all would be whole. That all would be healed that all would be saved. Deny yourself, and in so doing, become a part of the whole. Deny yourself may just be the strongest word ever spoken by Jesus as an affirmation of the importance of community. We are the body of Christ, which implies that we deny ourselves in order to enter into relationship of commitment with one another. We lean on each other. We build each other up. We take care of each other in order that we may be strengthened to do more together for the whole wide world than any of us could do by ourselves. I hope you caught the opening litany that was on your screen as Mark played our opening voluntary. Caroline Lewis says, because Lent cannot be just about yourself. Somehow you've defined your ident identity as that which is connected to Christ and to a community of believers. We don't do Lent alone. Lent is this radical communal experience in many ways. That was all you got to read, but she had more to say. People willing to wear crosses on their foreheads when buying groceries. People willing to talk about their Lenten disciplines out loud, even to strangers. Why? Because we realize it's not just about our own selves. I think that's what I'm loving about this Beyond Chocolate vlog. It's about you helping me. It's about me helping you. It's about us seeing I'm not the only one. We are in this together. And if we work on this together, if we hold each other accountable together, I have to deny myself to do that. I have to put myself out there to do that. I have to offer you my whole self, my whole vulnerable self that I want to keep squelched to myself, but I've got to put it out there, deny it, so that we can be together in this. Caroline Lewis goes on to say that Lent is a denial of the self in the best way. The self that refuses community, deny that self. The, the self that thinks it can survive on its own, deny that self. The self that rejects the deep need of humanity that is belonging, deny that self. Jesus' charge, she says, is not to demand to deny your true self. It's an invitation to imagine that yourself needs the other desperately, intimately, because that is what to be human is all about. 
intimacy, belonging, relationship, attention. She finally says, to what extent we barely know ourselves without all of the above in our lives, without others in our lives acknowledging, regarding who we are, we can't be ourselves by ourselves. And when we do, it is a self-absorbed existence. She says it is to become narcissistic in its truest form, where those around you are only pawns to placate your self-perceived power and importance, to deny the impulses that demand reliance on your, ourselves alone and seek the help of others, the denial of self, it's embracing the truth that you can't live in this world without relationship. Oh, you can. But can you fully live in this world without relationship? If we could see this whole deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me, not as an impossible task, but rather as a call to give up trying to go it alone and instead enter into the bounty of community, the fullness of togetherness, the abundance of intimacy, then perhaps Jesus' rebuke is actually more of a word of love and pastoral care. Maybe he was simply setting us up to be together and take care of each other. So friends, this day, hear this good word of rebuke. May it ring in your ears and may it rest in your heart and may this rebuke stay with you. Deny yourself and enter into the joy of beloved community. May it be so. Amen.